are, Abe. Cast Iron Brains. A podcast that may sound and look like all the other podcasts in certain ways. May even appear disheveled and pudgy and bloated at times in this unfortunate and temporary corporeal form. But is more than it appears. A podcast that is, in fact, an immortal being of pure light and energy. A podcast with access to unlimited wells of power and influence that emanate from the source of all that is good and positive in the universe. And would like to invite you into this majestic unfolding of what must be. Because you are, of course, very special. And have all the right ideas and only want what is best for everyone. And because you are so good, you will get what you deserve, which is untold wealth and with it the ability to fix the world as you see fit. Also, we can like totally make your dog live forever. All of this and more can be yours for the low, low price of the entirety of your human dignity. Dignity spends quick, though, so in order for you to become a fully ascended master of this reality, we'll also need every red cent you can beg, borrow, steal, or earn from the people who respect, love, and believe in you. And only then, humiliated and ashamed, will you and your dog live forever. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host, that's the immortal Abe. <laughs> How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too. How you doing, Lori? Good. Lori's good. Tonight is Monday, March 21st, 2022, the second day of spring, Abe. Oh, look at that. At the Didn't equinox. Notice. The equinox yesterday. I was watching the uh, Sunday shows, as I am wont to do. Chuck Todd was explaining. This uh, plan by the United States Senate to the unanimous vote to go. Well, I don't. Was it unanimous or was it? It was Frank a voice vote. Differently. Yeah, no one objected. Right. Unanimous consent, I guess. Abe. Yes. I th- I just want you to frame it so that it gives Abe a chance to answer a question rather than be told the answer to the question. I I, I will also note I watched the meet yeah. the press uh, earlier today so i'm but yeah let, let's uh, okay. present it. i don't think i'm going to surprise you here but it's possible okay. that with the way that you watch television which is to say that you are doing one thing and then also in the background is chuck todd yammering about something else right Gen- when i'm speaking. watching chuck todd he has my full attention oh, oh, multitask kind of okay. uh, were you also on the clock at the moment, though? <laughs> How dare so you? Guys. They showed a map. Just right? happy to clock off. They showed a map of the United States. Okay, so this is a this is during I think it was during the data download section. Data download, yes. Of the uh, of the Meet the Press, which I'd love to know the producer who insists that it's important <laughs> in this day and age to continue with Chuck's stupid data download segment. I hate it. Well. It's CBS like when, has it's like, and, I, and Lori's going to be mad at me for doing this here, but uh, when the war started with the the Ukraine thing, and we we kept hearing about cyber, everything was yeah. cyber. No, no, you better no, no. No, no. look out, Vladimir Putin might use the cyber, and everything was all about. <laughs> we were all going to suffer because of Russia's advanced cyber capabilities. Stop. It was it was a great concern, uh, and then it amounts to absolutely nothing. Uh, but right. So yes. wh- why that annoys Lori is because anytime somebody on NPR or the news says cyber, I s- immediately say, "Ooh, we have to watch out for cyber," 
because it's very funny to me whenever to people you, start yes. talking about that. Uh, it's like a good thing. I work so much. Cyber. Uh, <laughs> anyway, similar to concerns about cyber, we have Chuck Todd and his data download segment. Uh, anyway, he's talking about how Marco Rubio and the rest of the United States Senate have passed through voice vote, which means they didn't have to register whether or not they approved or disapproved of the measure. That that in well, in, in the long the, in the long right. run of history, when they look back at which of our proud United States senators voted for and which stood against, stood athwart permanent daylight savings time and shouted stop at it. We will we will never know if there were any uh, which of the brave senators in the room were against it. There, there was the opportunity to object, and they didn't do that. But it's not they were too a, an tired. actual vote. They were too right. fucking tired. But they've done that before with, like, I mean, they do, they do it plenty of times. But like, uh, wasn't one of the big pieces of legislation during the pandemic, the beginnings, where they didn't actually vote? They're just sure. like, all right, let's yeah, just it's not. Get this it's certainly by no means is it anything like the first time that this sort of thing happens. It was what was surprising about it was that it seemed, even though th this is something that we've talked about before, like it's been before Congress in the past, it's just that right. there was no talk about it in the press or lead up to it. It was just all of a sudden, uh, hey, Boom. guess what? The yeah. Senate just passed permanent daylight savings time, and now it's going to go to the House. And I guess now we should probably it's going talk to about die in the House, right? whether or not we want we'll it. We'll see. Right. I don't know. Do we think it's going to die in the House? I it, 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 For whatever reason, it seems like they're, they don't want to bring it to a vote, so people will have to take a position, and so Science I guess they'll just let it die. Science and mental health would be the reasons. Mental Fantastic. health and physical health of people. Right. Anyway. Right. So, Lori, first of all, we should make our positions clear because not everybody uh, is completely familiar with the whole back catalog, which, by the way, coming up on two years. In uh, oh, the yeah. first week of May, we'll have we'll have how been back at this pandemic? for two years. Add a couple months. That's how long we've been, uh, or subtract a couple months. That's how long we've been doing this. I am of the position. I, I I take the position that permanent daylight savings time is the second best option out of all of the options available to us. If you assume that there is one, keep things the way that they are, where you change the clocks twice a year. Two would be permanent daylight savings time and three would be permanent standard time where you go right. back to just what what is called standard time where you just go with the winter hours i think that would be ideal that is the that is the primary best option for all involved that is also involved. what scientists seem to think scientists and doctors and right. people who know but i will acknowledge that i think that the second best option is permanent daylight savings time because at least it ends this nonsense of the changing of back changing, and forth. Right. So the status quo is the worst possible option, which is likely what we'll stay at, right? Right. <laughs> the worst option Sounds is going to probably... Right. Anyway, uh, the Congress goes ahead and does that. The, the Senate does it anyway, and, and your prediction is that it will die in the House. I have no reason to doubt that. This is and, taking too long. Yeah, everything takes too long. That's what makes it fun. Chuck Todd was discussing this on Meet the Press during the data download. And he said that, of course, Marco Rubio in Florida, <laughs> this is easy for him because right. he's in Florida. And then he pointed to, up on the map there, New York and, like, Detroit. Okay, the point is... And he was, he was pointing out that in New York and Detroit, in the middle of winter, 
the sun won't rise until, until eight fifty one in the in the right. in the middle of the morning or yeah, whatever. The right? western part of these time zones are going to have like very late sunrises. Very weird, yeah. I think yeah. some of the cities that he pointed to were actually in the nine o'clock hour, like nine o one or something, or like yeah, 8, it's awful. Right, it's you go awful. out, you go all the way out to like Seattle or whatever, and it's like, yeah, it's after nine o'clock in the morning that sunrise right. happens in in December. Yeah, that sounds terrible, and it would be better if it was an hour earlier, which is where... why standard time is better than daylight savings time. But that's not exactly the conversation we're having. The question is. Why does Chuck Todd believe that it's better to be in Florida for these purposes than it is to be in Michigan or New York? Isn't it because the way he was presenting the information that Florida is basically like in the middle of the time zone, so there won't be too early or too late? So in the middle as in because, of course, time zones run – Right. Latitudinally, right? right? So right. it runs right. from east right. to west. Now, right. what is a far... Now, Abe, I know we're all <laughs> fucking stupid, right? Americans, <laughs> we're bad at geography. We don't understand the way the world works or how the sun, you know. I, I bet you we could go find 23% or more of people who believe out man-on-the-street style interview that the sun rotates around the earth, right? right? I bet right. We, could, we could go out there with our Leno uh, camera and microphone and get, get people to say that. But Abe... Can you explain to me <laughs> how it possibly makes any sense whatsoever to suggest that Marco Rubio is of the opinion that he is of because of Florida's unique position east to west in the time zone situation rather than, I don't know, any other consideration about, this, about the fact of Florida's place in the world? Right. I, I, I'm not sure what – was that like part of his presentation? Because I was watching it. I don't know if that was a throwaway. Like, so, well, of course. Abe, do you think that the sun sets the same time in New York as it does in Miami? Well, the sun does set – I mean the clock is the same, right? So basically it's – if you're on the eastern part of the eastern time zone, yeah, right? If, the well, sun let's is say we're on the same – what is that? Lo- longitude? If we're on the same – Same longitude. No, no, no. Right. Longitude are the same. long lines going around the fucking world. Longitude. Same longitude, right. right? Right. Does the sun set at the same time in New York as it does in Florida on that longitudinal line? I would imagine so, yes. See? <laughs> Most people... I, I can't handle this. Including one-third <laughs> of the people on this phone call... What do... All right. <laughs> Go ahead. I told you. This is not designed to humiliate anyone. Like, I want to right. make that clear. I, this is designed to humiliate you because you don't know people and I know people. No. No. All right. So. Go <laughs> <laughs> <Come> on. <laughs> what does the equator mean to you? What What is the equator? The, 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 the waste of the, the planet. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's the it's the imaginary line. Right. The imaginary latitudinal line, right? That right. that runs around the center of the earth. Right. right? The the middle. It divides right. the northern hemisphere from the southern hemisphere, right? Right. All right. So this Bob here interrupting 
our podcast from last night here in the CIB editing bay. And I'm doing that. I'm I'm interrupting here because we spent uh, literally the next 20 minutes going round and round on this question and a combination of, of me being put on tilt by Abe's response just there and uh, trying to come to terms with what exactly Chuck Todd was trying to say left me completely unable to deal with the world as it is. And I, I just lost the thread. It just must be said. We, we completely lost the thread as a group. I was, I was lost perhaps in an existential way feeling like, is it possible that I was wrong and Chuck Todd was right about something? All of which is just, it's too confusing to rehash uh, here, and I can't even edit it into something that approaches listenability, even by my own extremely low standards for what we're willing to put out there as so-called podcast content. So I will spare you most of that except to say let's let's play some of what Chuck Todd said and and I will explain as clearly as I can now uh, what what exactly I find objectionable about it so this is from meet the press this Sunday welcome back it's data download time the Senate appeared to put aside its partisan differences this week when seemingly out of nowhere they unanimously passed a measure that would make daylight saving time permanent. In other words, our annual right of springing ahead or falling back with our clocks an hour would suddenly be a year-round practice. We wouldn't do it anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chuck, can you run that by me one more time? That would make daylight saving time permanent. In other words, our annual right of springing ahead or falling back with our clocks an hour would suddenly be a year-round practice. Okay, we can be generous and set aside the misspeaking that he did there when he attempted to clarify what the fuck he was talking about, where he says, where he explains that permanent daylight saving time means that we are just in a constant state of jumping ahead and falling behind at all times, all through the year. Like he just misspoke. That's fine. But let's, let's jump ahead to the thing that really got me going at, at the end of the report, which is the, the Florida map thing. Now look at the East Coast. Boston sunrise would move to 8.15 a.m. in the morning on January 1st. Look what would happen on the other edge of the Eastern time zone. Nearly an hour later would uh, the sunrise in Detroit. Look, there's a reason Marco Rubio's for this. State of Florida, not really impacted. Not too far to the east, not too far to the west in that time zone. Uh, so kind of easy for Florida, kind of harder for many other parts of the northern tier. The point that Chuck is making there is that Marco Rubio and presumably Floridians are perfectly happy with year-round daylight savings time because of where most of Florida falls east to west in the eastern time zone. And this is true to an extent. Where you are in a time zone east to west does have an impact on what time in the morning the sun comes up in your area, as he points out in his report. But... Far more crucial to the question of why Floridians are less concerned about the negative impact of futzing around with the clocks is their position relative to the equator. That is to say, where they fall north and south, not east and west. 
So Bangor, Maine, for example, gets nearly seven more hours of sunlight in June than it gets in December. Miami, Florida, which is more than 1,300 miles closer to the equator than Bangor, Maine, only experiences three fewer hours of sunlight in December than they get in June. So Chuck and his producers want to make this about the relative positioning in a time zone from an east-west perspective because of alleged worry about little kids having to walk to school in the dark. But that ship has sailed with permanent daylight savings time. 8.15 or 9.15 sunrise in Boston and Detroit means both those cities are full of kids walking to school in the dark while Miami has sunrise at 7 a.m. Not because of where Miami is east to west, but where it is north and south, relative to the, to the equator. The reason people further north are more sensitive about the time change is because sunlight is a relatively precious commodity in the winter the further north you get. In the Sun Belt, Florida, Arizona, you know, that whole area, across Texas, the difference in total sunlight between winter and summer isn't enough to get too worked up about when it comes to changing the clocks. What I didn't realize, but what Lori thinks is a common mistake, is that most people, like Chuck Todd and Abe, apparently, don't think about the fact that cities on the same longitude, the same north-south line, have different sunrises and sunsets, different times for sunrises and sunsets on the same, on the very same day. And as we said, <laughs> this is not designed to humiliate anyone. Like, I want right. to make that clear. I, this is designed to humiliate you. And it worked because it is absolutely humiliating that I spent half an hour last night trying to talk myself around in circles about what I just outlined here in 30 seconds after I spent half the morning looking at sunrise and sunshine charts for 30 different U.S. cities, comparing longitudes and latitudes and checking it against time zones and relative distance from the equator. Why? Why am I this way? Why didn't I just delete the episode entirely? I could have even chalked it up to technical difficulties, and no one would have been the wiser. Why am I here now, still insisting that a throwaway two-minute segment on a stupid Sunday morning news talk show needs, above all else, the authority of my corrective voice? Seriously, what the fuck am I even doing here? I have no answers to that. But yeah, back to the show. This is designed to humiliate you. Hey, as you might have been able to tell from my opening there, where I promised untold riches and power and influence to our uh, loyal listeners, I watched a documentary this weekend. Bob was deeply affected by this. Yeah. Go on. We watched uh, Bad Vegan on Netflix, which is uh, four episodes. It's probably a little less than four hours of your time when it's all said and done. And it's not one of these that's like, oh, they should have done this in 95 minutes and that would have been fine. Like, it it, it justifies its running time. Oh, you're, they weren't stretching this out. This is, yeah, it was no, fun. It was, I was thinking it's, it was pretty okay. good. It's punishing and it made me feel bad about humans, uh, but it, it's, they didn't like unnecessarily. They didn't fluff withhold up the, anything the running time. that they could have right, told yeah. you. I'm uh, they didn't, two they episodes didn't give in. You and, too much detail. Right. The, the pacing. So far, it's good, but I was like, I don't know, what, what are they going to talk about for the back two episodes? But, like, so far, it's been pretty good. I don't think I'm going to spoil anything for you here, because I don't, I, although, to be fair, I don't remember 
how that second episode ended. But suffice it to say, it's the story of another story of a con artist, another fucking scammer. And it's what con artist month on Netflix? It continues. Yeah, it started what, in February, keeps on going. What was bumming me out about it was how fucking stupid the pitch was from this guy. Right? Yeah. So like, it's one thing to get caught up in something like as you watch these other things and whether it's the guy who ran the nexium sex cult or whether it's the tinder that, swindler the, guy the tinder swindler fella where first of all that was believable right like he seemed to have the goods where he's like getting on private planes and and jumping around europe right. and actually based like, on the scams that he pulled previously right yeah, but sure whatever. but at least there's an infrastructure yeah. there that that's right. like believable where it's like right? okay yeah that's true yeah it's not it, some it, guy pulling up in an escalade who looks like a dumpy shit from boston <laughs> and yeah, it turns out he's just a dumpy shit from boston <laughs> like and that that's what did the trick is this fucking idiot like Alec Baldwin's reply guy on Twitter, yes. who's like, yes. who who just ingratiated himself with <laughs> one of the least charming and and like like relatable celebrities that we have in the culture is the the quietly furious and just right. constantly mad and screaming at his daughter Alec Baldwin, who yeah I'm sure is secretly a great person and definitely didn't actually kill that woman on the set of that movie. That well, fucking probably didn't definitely mean didn't to anyway. do it on purpose. Come he on, has bro. been so weird and creepy about that whole thing. Yeah, you kill someone accidentally. See if you're so they not probably cut a lot of corners in production. Yeah. Obviously. And so he's probably like, oh, shit. Anyway, and what this guy is selling is just so stupid. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's just it, – what was get, making me sad about it was it, – because it, it's the same fucking story as all of the rest of them, which is that the, the Mark has to desperately want to believe that right. they're the most important and special person on the face of the planet, in the history of right. the world, you are what we have been building towards. And if you just believe in yourself strongly enough, then all of the good things will come to you. And right. if you, and and by virtue of believing that, she starts sending him tens of thousands of dollars at a time. Yes. Over and over again, out of the business accounts that she eventually just gives him complete control over, and he ends up making off. She helps him make off with nearly two million dollars in in money from these business accounts and and from investor money that was supposed to go to first getting a restaurant off the ground and then later rehabilitating a restaurant after she had run it into the ground the first time. And it's just so fucking depressing because it's it's. It's just, he didn't even have to work for it. It's just, oh, you're so great and special and good, and I'm going to make your dog live forever, and right. just give me fucking $15,000, Sarma. Like, if you just give me a big pile of money, then that's going. I'm going to make everything better. And it's like, what is it about the this, this beautiful, like she is, she's an absolutely stunning physical specimen, right? Who, and she's smart. And, uh, she went to that fancy school, didn't she? Right. Martin? She went to that yeah. fucking UPenn, goddammit, again, with the, yeah. the, the bogus Ivies ruining, uh, ruining the <laughs> reputation for all the rest of them. Uh, that's, that's the part that, that, you know, when I watch these uh, documentaries, I try to put myself in their position because maybe in retrospect, it all seems so obvious. You know, in some of the other examples, like that Tinder Swindler guy was very effective in his ruse, right? 
it, it yeah. would take a while for you to kind of figure out, wait a minute, this is all smoke and mirrors. This one was, you're right. What was the hook? Basically, it was like she was doing all the heavy lifting. Like, I'm going to willfully suspend my rational thinking because I want whatever to be true to be true. Right. Because otherwise, I, I, don't, I don't relate to her as much as I would. The other people, yeah, they fucked up, but like you can kind of see where they went wrong. This one was just like, this was red flag after red flag after red flag. Like, what more evidence did you need for you to say, like, wait a minute, this doesn't add up? It, it's it's the equivalent of, I mean, like, there's that old phrase about uh, outkicking your punt coverage, right? Like, right. this guy outkicked his coverage <laughs> so fucking far <laughs> on on the on the shankiest of a punt right so yes. it's like it's it's one that, like it's and it, that's what bothered me about it it's like it's one thing for the schlub to have a really great story to tell and right. end up conning the person and, and getting ever you know acquiring all of this but at, at its base it was so stupid and all it yes. did, it was just pure flattery of her own ego and her own belief of her place in the world and that that she would get these impossible returns on investment but not even in a money sort of way in some weird like spiritually guru-y sort of way yeah and at at bottom he's just like going to the fucking casino and gambling at yes. at, at slot at 25 dollar a pop <laughs> slots like he's not even he's not even a gambler who's like really good at blackjack or poker right. or something. It's the <laughs> dumbest of all possible things. Yeah. He's shoveling hundreds of thousands of dollars a year into slot machines. Yes. While by the way telling her that he's a secret agent. That yes. that that he's he works for the fucking Mossad or something. What was wrong with her? I guess I can't give you an answer because I haven't seen the last two episodes. Did they? Did does she at least like address that? Like I know this all seems fucking stupid, but this is not why. in any like, satisfying ah, sort of way. She kind of does. She kind of does. So she basically she just kind of got caught up. Like I, I don't. Yeah, like it's the same as religion. Like if you have to tell yourself something, it will become right. real to you. Right. But there's usually like some alluring or appealing thing about the yeah, ruse just, and there was none of well, that. In that's the thing. It's these dudes who just say like, oh, yeah, I travel a lot for work. I can't talk about it. Like, right. You just accept that because if it starts with I can't talk about it, then it's not secrets. It's just, it's just stuff um, you can't know, which now. No, like if you walk in and he has whatever security shit on his computer, that's not real. That doesn't happen. But the vegan chef probably doesn't know that that doesn't happen. Right. She thinks he has some sort of access on his Ma Wi-Fi. Maybe there were some other recordings that showed this guy's charm, but like I didn't hear it in any of the recordings that I heard the first two episodes. He just sounds kind of pathetic. Like, oh, just yeah. give me the money. He would like he would kind of alternate between like being a hostile kind of thing. And then he's like, just send me the money. What's it to you? It doesn't matter. And I, at, again, I, I just don't see. At its bottom, and I think this is that, that she gets, there are ways that this documentary flatters her and there are ways that it, it doesn't exactly play fair. And the way that it doesn't play fair is at the very end, the last shot of the movie is... Makes it makes it seem like she's still in contact with this guy, 
all of these years later, makes it seem like she was much more sort of into the weird psychodrama of the whole thing than I think that she actually was. Like, it, it, it uses a clip of audio that I don't think authentically represents the truth of the situation. But it, at the same time, it flatters her because I don't think that it gets at the core of why she was in this to begin with. And it, and it it is very much from her perspective. She gave apparently like 15 hours worth of interviews for this thing and was was compensated for it in the form of a pile of money was set aside, not not for her, but to be put into an account that then paid out all of the back wages for the employees that she fucked over uh, oh. at this restaurant. Was it enough to cover all of it or just the, those I don't proceeds know. will just go to I, okay. I don't know the details on that. I know that she didn't cover all of her invest. Like the investors haven't been taken care of, but okay. apparently the employees all got checks back when this all, when, when the production got rolling, uh, which would have been like two years ago. So right when the pandemic actually hit, they got their payouts for, for back wages, apparently. Uh, so that might be part of the reason why, in a, in a sort of Michael Jordan, this is a Michael Jordan documentary kind of way, that it feels like it's sympathetic to her. Um, right. I mean, I maybe they, that was their attempt, but she did not come across. Uh, she just came across like just like an idiot. Like, what what are you doing? Like, right. This so is, it, I think that they and they hint at in the documentary that maybe she was doing this because she was running her own scam on him where if she if she truly believed that he had this pile of money then she married him because she believed that he would get her out from under the 2 million dollars in debt that she was already in because she got she bought out her partners in the restaurant when they yeah, when that's they right. first she opened assumed it. the debt right yeah with like 2 million yeah. right and so i think that that is like the 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 primary motive for her, if you're looking for an explanation for why she was still in this all of those years later, is that it comes down to that that same sort of narcissism, but twisted in a slightly different way, which is a constant uh, and total belief in your ability to suss out the reality of the world around you, right? Right. That she can't possibly have been so wrong about him that all he's doing is turning around and putting her money in a slot machine, right? <laughs> that, 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 that is fundamentally why she stayed in it as long as she did. It's, it's, it's this insistence that, yeah, maybe she made a mistake, but she can't possibly have been so dumb. It's like sunk cost fallacy. At, right, as to believe... It's sunk cost, like, turned up to 11. Right, it's it's yeah, sunk this is, cost on, right. on steroids that you can't possibly imagine. Because she thought that he had $22 million in the bank and would, be, would, would easily just be able to cover all of her debts uh, just, just because she was hot and he was kind of this fucking loser, this pudgy loser who she was going to deign to give her uh, love and affection towards, right? And then right. all the rest of it that gets piled on top of that, the nonsense with the, the immortality of the dog and the fact that, like, I'm not even a human i'm just wearing this meat suit and i have to wear this fat meat suit for you oh, yeah like yeah. i'm i'm only getting fatter and putting on weight <laughs> because the mystic spirits that are in charge here are like i don't think she bought 
any of that. I don't think right. she believed it even for a second. I think it was just this weird, this thing that she accepted about her life because she had been so wrong, just so fundamentally wrong about the situation. And she made this huge mistake, which was marrying this fucking scam artist. And she you, couldn't admit that about herself for you so You think long. that at some point she appreciated the scam and she just was doubling down because it was preferable than to admit that she she got duped? Like, you would think at some point, like, you you would say, okay, like Lori said with a sunk cost, I mean, there should be a way to to leave room open or where, I don't know how I should say this, basically, like, you should always try to have a, a, a method in place. If someone was scamming me, what would it look like, right? Basically, because, like, if you're just, like, blinders on at all times, then you won't be able to differentiate when it's an opportunity or but she can't she scam. can't possibly be that stupid, right? Like in her mind, she can't possibly have gotten played here. But but in if what you're saying is true, then not only are they smart enough to realize what it is, but they're stupid enough to continue, right? Like to continue with it and lose more right, money because and the, lose the, the narcissism is still there in the court. Like she's still, I think that she, and and yeah, while I'm saying that she didn't actually, she, she didn't believe any of the mystical shit. I think that she still thought that because she's a good person with a good head on her shoulders and is smart and doesn't get scammed, that somehow this was going to turn around for her. That like right. he was, yeah. he was, he was going to hit that jackpot, even when she found out that it was just stupid slot machine, right? <laughs> that, that somehow it was eventually going to turn back around and she was, that, that she couldn't possibly fucking drown and die because she's not the person who drowns and dies, right? Because she's right. the, she is yeah, the main character exactly in the whole that, history of the universe. That fable about the religious guy on the roof with the flood. Yeah. Like, he is so sure right. that he won't die in a flood that he'll He's die in off a flood all the help. to prove right. Be- that right. he won't die in a flood. Right. There's like a scene from the West Wing where they mention that basically like he's kind of waving off all the help. Like, oh, yeah. right, God's going to take care of me. And like, you dumb fuck. This is the help. Like, right. get on the boat and get out. Classic fucking Sorkin is to have Bartlett <laughs> d- deploy that it's for Martin Sheen to thunder. I sent you the boat. <laughs> you fool! What are you doing here? Yeah. Um, but uh, so I, I, you guys are further ahead than I am. Finished it. Do, yeah. Uh, did they approach? Did the producers approach her? Did she like? How did the, the the document? Is that not discussed on the show? Like what? I don't know. I don't know how it all how it all came together. All I know is that the producers paid her a handsome sum that she didn't collect on, but rather was immediately redirected to the employees that she had boned over the okay. years. Not that all kind right. of bone. T- terrible plan. Do you think that uh, some will take the wrong lessons from this and it will some schlub somewhere like, oh, I could do this I too. don't think that, no, because I think all it takes to get away with this is to be a bad person. It's just that yes. most people aren't a bad person. Yeah. Most if you, people if you can, would not, could not keep up that kind true. of weird, aggressive lie. Right. Like, right. And, and this is lie not, is one and, thing and to say, of, no, right. I didn't do that. But right. to say, I am doing and acting yeah. when you're not, right. that takes way <laughs> too much effort for most people. All of my complaining about her should not be confused with anything but 
like I have just absolute total contempt for the guy, even far more than I have for her. The, the documentary does not treat her with contempt because she was also a victim, right? And, I, and, and there's a part of me that says, no, you are deserving of contempt as well, not because you necessarily did anything wrong to these other people, but because of the way that you imagine yourself to exist in the world relative right. to Bob, all of these Bob other people. style contempt, just right. like fifth, <laughs> fifth level right. out in outer space she's contempt. Not, she's not morally culpable on the same level as the other guy but that guy is just an unconscionable piece of shit right that guy probably doesn't i mean i could be wrong a lot of people don't think when they're doing bad that they're doing bad they'll justify it somehow maybe oh she's pretty she's got everything in the world and fuck her so it's okay i don't like whatever justification to uh to do the things that you're doing like i think people know sometimes when they're doing bad and there are a few people that are like i don't care i'll do the bad but there are others that will try to give some bullshit backstory as to i've been aggrieved when i was younger and now this right. is the society's comeuppance and i'll take what i can because that's how the world works blah 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 some sort of justification to do yeah. the act because yeah most people are like that that's like if you can clear that hurdle doing bad it opens up the playbook. You can do so right. many things. You can screw and over by people. We, by the time he gets to the end, he's like an actively abusive piece of shit. It's not like it didn't appear that there was very much, if any, physical abuse. But the way that he talks to her is just yes. not a, It's not an acceptable way to talk to another human being. Yeah, anybody uh, really, yeah. Right, to say nothing of the is fact that that's he in technically jail? his wife. He was in jail. He's out by the time the... I mean, one of the funny things about the end of the movie is she is fighting her a protract, protracted court battle and then ends up having to serve some time in jail anyway when she, she ends up pleading guilty. And Are he, these like months? Like what, 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 what sort of yeah, the court's duration? Yeah, so while she's fighting her her court battles and there's appeals and there's, there's different, you know, it takes fucking forever to get through right. the judicial system. Uh, he spends a year and three months or something, like 15 months or something in jail and gets out because he pleads guilty to everything right up front because he doesn't have any he doesn't have any resources left to fight this anymore because <laughs> he, he put all it all money. at Harrah's or whatever into the $25 slots. Did I mishear it? But somebody was like almost like excusing this guy's gambling. It's like, oh, well, maybe he was just trying to win that money back. Like his heart was in the right place or some weird cockamamie excuse for why this guy was gambling. It's like, are you kidding me? He's taking somebody else's money and he's dicking around with the gambling. This is not like a strategy to win it's, it back. He's just a degenerate gambler. And I would have so much more respect for it if it was anything besides slot machines. Like, <laughs> like the, the fact that it's just a stupid slot machine and they have her on video in, in one of the final episodes saying like, boy, he just had a knack for just for getting all this money from the slot machines. It's like... He took almost two million of your dollars, and it's all gone now. Yeah, he didn't yeah. have a knack for anything except pouring a whole lot of money into that machine until it did the bells and the lights thing, and then it felt good. Yeah, right? it, it's not a knack for a, for where to sit at the electronic <laughs> slots. Jesus Christ! Yeah, I don't, the the decision making process when it comes to this is so far off all her other things. She seems to be an otherwise competent person. And then it, it all falls apart when it comes to this. I don't know. It, it's, it's a very weird thing. 
it's not often it's not often that you look at a person and you think, man, you could have made some better life decisions by going out with Alec Baldwin when he asked you out on a date. Right. Uh, but it turns out Sorma could have could have had a much better life if she just like uh, she had a boyfriend. Humored then. Alec Baldwin a couple of times. I know, right? Anyway, on to the bad, boring news. The Senate actually worked today on a Monday. Senate Judiciary Committee had Ketanji Brown Jackson, the uh, Biden nomination to the Supreme Court. It was just opening statements day, so she gets to read a statement, and all of the senators on the Judiciary Committee get to vamp for five to ten minutes without interruption. And I want to talk about I mean, a lot of them had very stupid things to say. Tom Cotton was insufferable. Uh, Ted Cruz was insufferable in his own way. Josh Hawley has been particularly insufferable, though. And what he said today, and and if you had followed his Twitter uh, in the last couple of weeks, this would not have surprised you, but he talked about how Katanji Brown-Jackson has been too lenient on sex offenders in her career as a judge, specifically child sexual imagery. She's uh, soft on child pornography. Right. right. We're not supposed to say child porn anymore because of the, no such thing. Okay, she's soft on whatever that is. Right, soft on child sexual imagery, according to Josh Hawley. And I make an effort to not call things gross because I think it is a, it's a, it's a useless way of framing things, that, it, that it's just... To be grossed out by something doesn't actually say anything about you. It it just puts you, when you say this is gross to me, it just puts you on a moral plane where you have you you have a a natural visceral reaction to something. Right. Uh, then this other thing must be bad because I am grossed out by it, right? So I I try to avoid that, and I I make that caveat explicitly so that I can say that <laughs> this is fucking gross, right? <laughs> this is the exception. You know, sometimes right. certain things are objectively gross, and you're saying this is one of those cases. Yeah, you're listening to too much NPR and reading too much weird Twitter because, like, that's a weird sensitivity you have. You can call things gross. Gross. Yeah, it's just that there's, in the last few years, since basically the Trumpening happened, everything has become how we are disgusted. I think that my yeah, election your Twitter night— Twitter and on NPR, yes. My election night 2020 piece was something— I called it because my 2016 was how we are aggrieved, and I think my 2021 I called how we are disgusted or something along those lines. Okay. I, I, I reject the framing of things as being disgusting. Right. But what Hawley is doing here in, a, in an attempt to distinguish himself from his fellow senators, in an attempt to distinguish himself from the other what will be the 2024 candidates for the Republican nomination for presidency, if assuming Trump that, yeah. that Trump doesn't run. He appears to want to run on, at least in part, his willingness to stand up to uh, child sex predators, right? right? And that is, first of all, whenever you put yourself on that particular hill, it should uh, do two things. One, it Red should... Flag. Right, it should make everybody think, what the fuck is going on with this yeah. guy where he thinks he needs to wear that particular banner, right? Because somebody who wears that particular banner, you'd think might be hiding something in the closet. Not that sort of a closet, but a, a much worse closet. 
By the way, on that point, I always think like, am I being unfair? Because that's exactly the first thing I think of when somebody's like way too into like a thing or takes a, a position on something. It's like, yeah, of course, no one's into that. Like, why are you making? I'm like, hmm. There's something off about, but like maybe there are people out there that mean well that that traffic in the same kind of language. So maybe he means well, but he it just eh. yeah. At work, when DeSantis did his "Don't say gay" thing, yeah, I showed my coworker Angie, and she goes, "I knew he was gay. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking knew it. I've been saying it." <laughs> anyway, Holly goes on for like eight minutes. And and the bulk of it is just him listing listing off seven different cases where she was responsible for the sentencing of seven different uh, child pornography offenders. And he would say, in this case, so-and-so versus so-and-so, the sentencing guidelines insisted on, say, 97 months to 140 months of prison time. The prosecutor requested 110 months of prison time, and you only sentenced the offender to 60 months of prison time. Uh, and then he would go on to the next one. And there were there were seven of those where right. he would say, the guidelines call for X, the prosecutor called for Y, and you only gave Z, where Z is always much lower than X or Y. Right. And there are there are some obvious ways in which this is bogus. The, the first of which is that the way that the sentencing guidelines are, it's almost universally agreed by people who actually study this sort of thing and pay attention to it and care about it, that the way that the sentencing guidelines were set up, they were set up in a pre-digital world. And so having a hundred pieces, I mean, this sounds terrible, right? So, and this is, this is the point (laughs) is that here I am rationalizing in some way, dissembling in some way, the facts about child sex porn offenders and how we should be dealing with those things. And every successive word that comes out of my mouth, I'm hanging myself by, right? right? And that's, that's all he cares about. All he cares about is that he's going to say, these things about how awful it is that such a thing as child pornography exists and it's only a bigger problem now more than ever because there were 81 million pieces that we even know about. Never mind. According to the New York Times, no no less a fixture in the liberal world than the New York Times admits that there were 81 million pieces of, of uh, child pornography distributed on, on private digital networks last year and here you are judge brown jackson sentencing people to far less than they deserve according to federal sentencing guidelines how do you respond man right. and it's right. like so then she has to get into this big long theoretical and abstract discussion about how these sentencing guidelines were set in the first place in a time before computers and how this particular case is different than this particular case because well in this case there was a young person like the person was only 20 years old and he was sharing homosexual child porn of people relatively close in his age and that's different than somebody selling big piles of child porn that have his daughter in it or something like that, right? Right. Like, that these are meaningfully different things, but the moment that you start doing that sort of work, you're just hanging yourself out to dry. You can't actually come back from that, and that's all he's interested in doing. So he gets to put on this face of, like, that the the sad warrior prince who's defending the victims of child sexual exploitation— and requiring her to stand up there and justify why she only wanted to give four years in prison to one of these assholes instead of the maximum of 12 years or what have you. Right. 
And and that's probably the only approach you can take because you're right. Any sort of answer is going to come across as like you're trying to explain away a bad decision. And by the way, was there any connection to those cases and her position as a justice? I mean, are, are, do Supreme Court justices hand out decisions? Yeah, all they do all day is sentence child pornographers. That's their job. The American people right. deserve to know what sort of a person would say that, like, why are you soft on child porn? And do we want someone who's soft on child porn on the on the, the highest court in the land? Of course we right. don't. Right. And it's just very, I'm very troubled by the fact that you appear to be relatively soft on child porn. What does that say about you? What does that say about liberals and Democrats in general, that they right. would be soft on child porn? Same goes, by the way, in Florida, where, oh, I guess you just want to teach kindergartners about gay sex. Are you grooming them? Right. Like, it's, it's the same stupid shit. Right. But it's effective in that any responsible seem as if you're, like, taking the other side. So like they, like grooming is a a, a good uh, example. Basically, I think Holly is kind of like some of the other Republicans. Uh, like I think Cotton is kind of like this, and that JD Vance is like this. It's like this Christian nationalism kind of thing where they take on these weird culture things. Like oh, uh, three year olds or five, you know, fifth graders shouldn't be discussing like sexual whatever, absent any evidence that that's actually the case. But like. If you try to say anything against the ridiculous bills that are kind of making it through these different states, it comes across to somebody who's just like not paying that much attention that you're almost defending or you're in support of like talking frankly about sex to like a five-year-old, right? And so, so it takes a lot of words. Like the accusation is very quick and the explanation is very long that it just you, – yeah. You kind of lose in the right. debate, and the and and the question births in the imagination of the audience all sorts of things that will never be answered right. by a rational recitation of facts. Right, right. That it is the the fact of the accusation itself. Not and it's not even an accusation. It's, it's sneakier than an accusation. It's planting a seed in somebody else's mind about what's going on in this. And and the fact and and not to not to go full identity politics here. But the fact that it's a black lady, yeah, uh, I think actually matters in this case because what he's saying is, you're, you're soft on child porn and you're different than anyone else that we've had come before us to to be ascended. And is that fair to to, uh, to Holly? I don't think that he's doing a racism here. I don't think that's what's going on. But in terms of othering the person that you're right. questioning, it's it that it much doesn't hurt. Right, it doesn't. Pursuit. It doesn't hurt exactly. Right. right. And the, the grooming thing is nothing to, to completely ignore either, by the way, because it's, it's the same thing that – so you can go look at Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram in the last few weeks from, from the whole don't say gay thing in Florida. This is the oldest play in the conservative playbook is to talk about how uh, liberal Hollywood, Democrat elites, whatever, the gay agenda, they're just trying to – recruit children into their evil homosexual lifestyle right. and that language of that has changed since we were kids and and going back to the 50s and 60s where they, they talk about this sort of thing about people being secretly recruited into the the gay lifestyle yeah, or recruited whatever is the the word i think of right now it's grooming now they, they've yeah. done away with recruitment and they've moved on grooming. to grooming 
And it's right. the exact same fucking stupid play, which is that there aren't actually any gays. The notion of homosexuality, it's an unnatural occurrence in, in humanity. And that the only way that it perpetuates is that there are evil gays who go out there and convince the youths that they right. should be gay too. And they do this in their various sneaky, nefarious ways. It's the same exact thing that they've been doing this entire time. It's just, it's rebranded itself as grooming. Well, and that comes from the fucking child abuse stuff, right? Yeah. Right. It comes directly out of the QAnon stuff. It comes directly yeah. out of that. Which also comes from reality. Yeah, sure. There, there do exist people right. who do these evil things. But the idea that somehow it's pervasive among 45 or 50 percent of the population yeah, it's, yeah, it's like by the domain, virtue of their political ideology right and that it somehow like is part of the ideology like it advances some sort of cause on the left i don't know what that is but like it seems like it's not like oh this happens all the time and they're just not doing anything about it it's like they're actually participants in some cases like with the that cheese pizza thing with the QAnon stuff like basically it's like they're actually participating and perpetuating all of this stuff there's like a secret cabal of people who are like diddling kids or whatever and this party is in support of it and look at their this new nominee who's been soft on on that right like that's terrible not to blow it up into something that it's not but like it's bad for the entire state of everything when you can you can take somebody who believes that the sentencing guidelines for child pornography are wrong for very good and valid reasons and that there are probably better ways of dealing with this situation than to just follow sentencing guidelines that were set 40 years ago for crimes that that didn't even exist back then that there are better ways of handling that and to paint that as a representation of some secret cabal of sex fiends who just want who want there to be uh, child sexual imagery all over the place but for for whatever reason this line of argument captures the imagination of so many people cuz like it must pull well these words that they're using the the line of attacks it must resonate with a lot of people because like you know whenever i hear it i'm like oh come on like and, and a lot of times they don't actually give you specific examples they just say the words the grooming and you're this and that in this case it's like you take what seven cases out of context and how were her other types of cases decided like were they also outside of the sentencing guidelines too or did just this thing like why was this issue not raised last year when she was applying for a, a job where she's actually going to be doing more of that than, than the Supreme Court. Like, wasn't it like last year or two years ago she was nominated for the right. D.C. This is circuit? Her, this is her third time through this process. Right. So it's not like – and these cases, I assume, weren't all in the last year. Like, these seven right. cases – like, it's been some time. So it, it seems like the numbers are what they are. She's going to be nominated – she's going to be confirmed, rather. But basically he's like, Let, let's throw this into uh, the record, and then I can always point to this to say that I stood up for children or whatever. Right, but it – it makes it so much harder for the Murkowskis and the what's her name from Maine and the and the Lindsey Grahams to vote for her to say that this is an acceptable because Hawley has now said 
she now has to answer for the fact that she's on the side of the child pedos, right. that, that she's on the side of the child pornographers. And now Lindsey Graham has to consider the fact that next time he goes on the Jesse Waters program or whatever the fuck on Fox, that now right. he has to answer Josh Hawley's objection about the fact that she's soft on child porn. And yet, and yet you, Lindsey Graham, have had such nice things to say about her. Right. Like, what say you? Right. Because they have to live in that media bubble, right? So they have to go to, to these shows. And so they'll always throw that at the guest. Like, so if a Graham or like Susan Collins or whatever, they'll just have to constantly answer for it. So if they, if they see that a Kamala Harris over-the-top vote is going to confirm her anyways, like, why stick my neck out, right? So even though they would otherwise vote for her, if this does get some traction, it sounds like it probably already has in conservative circles, they're going to decide the grams and 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 the rest let let's just make it 50-50 and have Kamala Harris put her over the top that way right. she's in this issue doesn't go, get dragged into you know beyond easter i don't know when they're trying to get this done with because they i think they've decided that this is a liberal for liberal replacement we have a better case to make when it comes to inflation and other issues so right and you would think that they, therefore she would get like 70 votes if she's qualified if she's right. reasonably qualified right. and but not, that's not a how fucking it works. Right. not a pedophile but apparently it's not the way that it works any longer the and issue it, is that their calculation is going to be is it worth it for me to stick my neck out and vote for someone who's otherwise qualified uh, and take on all the flack that will come my way. If it was 70-30, then they would have enough support where they can point to other senators. But if it's like 52, 53, 54, like, like three or four Republicans, they're going to take all of the, the hit. And so the number may be actually suppressed because of that. It may end up being a 50-50 kind of thing. Yeah. Anyway, we never really talked much about the don't say gay thing and – the reason for that is because it has been sort of obnoxiously overblown, I think, by both sides, which is not to say that any of the conservative or Republican apologetics for the bill is right, but it's also the case that the bill doesn't say anywhere in it, don't say gay, and that the, the saying of gay in Florida public schools is not going to... It, it doesn't compel teachers suddenly into the courts uh, on right. uh, with felony charges or something like that. But it is a bad law. It is a it is a poorly worded and it's ambiguously really worded law that is going to result more than anything else in a chilling effect on the way that teachers are thinking about the ways that they should communicate these sorts of issues, and even just in terms of like normal everyday conversations, nothing to do with the lesson plan, but just uh, right. talking about little Timmy who has two moms or what have you. Right. Just uh, casual. To, to what extent? Right. Right. To what extent can they discuss that in the classroom of a third grader without running afoul of Florida's new law? And that's not. It's so unclear, in fact, that the law is going to go into effect this summer, therefore be uh, valid for the entire next school year. But the, the law doesn't require any official guidelines from the the various departments of education down there uh, to sort out any of these ambiguities, right? So the the law goes into effect this year, but the policy isn't due for a whole year after that. So you're going right. to have a situation where teachers are walking entirely on eggshells. And by the way, it has that that stupid Texas enforcement mechanism, which is or that any, any old, can, okay. any person 
whose kid comes home from school and says the wrong combination of words and the parent gets the feeling that something has gone wrong can then sue the school, which is just a, it's a bad way of, of enforcing laws in this country is to outsource everything to uh, private citizens to right. then sue their fellow private citizens. I think it was Idaho that just uh, followed the lead of the Texas abortion law where they've now passed a very similar thing to where anybody can take you to court for having an abortion after six weeks and it's a it's a bad model and it right and and the supreme court i guess plays a role here because they could have taken an action to say we need to put a halt on things until we sort this out because i don't see how these laws are going to be workable to where you can have anyone just say that they, they they have been impacted in any way and sue people. And to your point about it didn't actually say don't say gay, that's true. But the purpose behind this law is to cause some sort of like second guessing or a chilling effect where people are going to think twice about being so, you know, just talking like regular human beings to to their students. And in the past, I mean, not to say the past was better, but like, in the past, at least, there was some sort of story that served as a catalyst for some law that was kind of like overreaching, right? Like this kind of thing. As I understand it, this seems to be a solution in search of a problem, right? What was the animating incident in Florida or any other state? There are gay kids. Right, but was there like, you know, like, oh, little Timmy one day, not traumatized for life because somebody said two moms. Or, like, no, that, wh- there are, that there are kids that walk around, like, being all gay. Yeah. That's the, that's the incident. Right. And so, like. That, they used to get beat up. They're not getting beat up as much. Yeah, it's like, what happened to that? Like, when, when they weren't so yeah. free to, 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 to come out, like, it's too free, I guess. But, like, yeah, that's at a real least. problem. The, the way things would work, they'll, they'll be, you know, they literally had names after laws, you know, the little, little Timmy Act or whatever. This is just like just out of thin air. And what's sinister about it is like it's designed in such a way to to draw criticism. And then they can say, oh, it didn't say anything on the page. I don't know what you're talking about. Everything's on the up and up. Are you for uh, these frank sexual talk? Da, 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 you know, the, they kind of have you kind of wrapped in the thing. My first question is like, where were the issues that caused you to pass this law? That caused you to pass a law that can only be seen as a direct infringement on one of the most fundamentally and dearly held rights in the in the country, right? Which right. is the right to freely express yourself. Right. And yeah, do teachers have no, a no? Not a, if you're gay. Have a strange relationship with that particular First Amendment right because they're in a they're a state employee who is in front of a bunch of uh, children. Yeah, that they can't just say any old thing right. but they also shouldn't be in constant fear of saying the slightly wrong thing right so that their entire school can be taken down by somebody's frivolous lawsuit well especially when you have so many kids and hope less than there used to be but like sometimes the teachers are the supportive adult because yes. the parents are assholes right so now those kids are gonna lose that like one adult that they had that was like, no, be gay. It's fine. Right. It's really bad. It's, but it seems like these, uh, states, when it passes in one location, there's a lot of flack. Sometimes companies will make a statement, but then it'll, for whatever reason, the Supreme court is fine with these weird, terrible rules, at least for now. 
and then like other states will model it. Like they, you know, it's already happened with the abortion thing. And Florida is not going to be alone in this. There's going to be other states that are going to have some dumb written in such a way where you, you know, you really can't drive home the ambiguity of it too much more. I mean, the, the law says that quote, Classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three or, and this is a separate clause now, so it can be read, it can be understood to apply to anyone, not just kindergarten through grade three, quote, or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate. End quote. Right. So, so what the fuck is age appropriate? Exactly. And when right. is the appropriate time? And like, what fucking counts? Like, right. is is the mere mention of? And none of those questions are answered. So it makes yes. it almost impossible to do your job as a teacher in Florida. And it's, uh, you know, we have a hard time having enough teachers in schools as it is, right? And now you're trying to come up with another reason why somebody's like, I don't want to deal with this, and I would rather, you know, get in a different job, like. It, it's not like they're, they're paid that highly, the teachers. Right. And so, like, adding more confusion, which, again, is the point. Like, they can point to saying that the 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 text doesn't say anything specifically about gays or anything. But the intended effect is that people are going to second guess and, 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 and maybe not say something. That, that's, like, otherwise just innocuous and whatever, harmless. But, like, if somebody... You can make a big deal out of something that's not really a big deal. Have you listened to any of the new season of Serial, which came out last week? I've, I'm like <laughs> a, a, a continuing theme here. I'm halfway through uh, oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the so, one where there was a big uh, brouhaha about uh, like this neighborhood in, in, in the UK and it was like two Muslim or whatever? Is that the one? Right. Yeah. All right. It's uh, Bob here again, jumping in. One more time. We had a lengthy discussion about the serial podcast, uh, the, uh, the Trojan Horse Affair, it is called. I'm going to yank that out of this conversation here in part because, as you heard, Abe did not listen to the entire series yet, which is all available uh, wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you'd like to check that out, I think it's worth your time. Uh, but I'm just going to skip and ta- table that conversation until Abe has heard the entire thing, and then we will discuss it uh, perhaps next week or the week after that. So I will, I will jump ahead to the next topic now. Yeah, and, and again, it's not the exact same thing as the situation in Florida, but I did find it interesting that it's, it's the same sort of, you can generate these moral panics out of almost nothing as long as you have the right class of other. Uh, alleged perpetrator group. Right? right. And it it helps a lot if they if you are a conservative Republican and you can say this is just a bunch of fucking homosexuals who want to groom our children into the lifestyle. And it helps a lot if you are a bad principal in a school in England and you happen to be a perhaps slightly lapsed Muslim and you can point at a whole bunch of other uh let's call them more sincere Muslims than you might be, uh, at least in an outward-facing way, right. as, as these scary dudes who are trying to radicalize children. I did want to talk about that op-ed that you mentioned. Oh, the Sweden? In the New York Times uh, from this past weekend. And there was a, there was a, a piece about a young woman who accused a 
sort of media big shot in Sweden of uh, sexual impropriety, some yeah. some form of sexual assault. And the the big kicker out of this story is that the the truth of the situation doesn't matter relative to the impact of the the negative impact on his reputation in the public it's, sphere <laughs> moving forward, right? It's so one he of the could have done, things, yeah. Right. He could have done the thing that she accused him of, but that wouldn't matter because one way of reading the situation is that the greater crime is dragging his good name through the mud, even if that good name is technically that he is also a a sexual predator in, right. in some way. This is uh, – basically the story, you know, the uh, – the headline and, and, and at the beginning, basically the, the, the framing is the Me Too movement. It spread in Sweden and basically this kind of ended it because their rules were different than other countries and they were comparing it to the United States, which basically is set up in such a way where like if you're telling the truth, you're, you're, uh, you're basically immune from some sort of criminal prosecution, right? Basically any sort of like uh, – is it slander or libel? Wh- wh- whichever one, uh, any sort Libel's of defamation that comes your way, if you're telling the truth, not much can happen to you. That's not the case in Sweden. They have this goofy two-step process, and what's I, and I say goofy, uh, and the outcome is bad. But like, I kind of see the lo- the the their thinking as far as why it's important to do it this way the the order and their the way they're going about it is i think backwards but basically it's a two-step process and the second step is whether it's true or not right so if you fail that first test which is is it a public uh interest or some goofy like uh thing like is it of uh is it justifiable so so they determine whether the alleged defamation is justifiable, that is whether it's of broad public interest. So if they say no, right, so if the, they, they decide that, that the person being defamed, it's not done in a justifiable way, it's not, it does not matter if it's true or not, right? And so that's where this woman, and I think they said about 12 other people, have, and there were women, have found themselves on the wrong side of this law, and there right, where you you sort of have to, you almost have to go out of your way to prove that he is some that the the person that you are accusing is some sort of an ongoing threat to a lot of other people in order to justify dragging his good name through the mud right, right. by by even by even coming forward with the truthful fact of his sexual assault of your person right uh, which, which it's, is yeah it's very weird i don't I'm surprised that they did not modify this law when they were actually implementing it. Because, you know, the guy was accused by other... I think the the guest essay person, she herself had, like, an interaction. It wasn't the same as the woman that's featured in the story. But, like, she had, like, a less-than-ideal interaction with the guy. And, and, and so in the United States, that's no problem. You can write this, do whatever. But, like, in Sweden, I think they even went... Uh, to the extra step of preventing her from publishing a her accounts of what happened, even though like she I think changed the names or she did something where maybe she thought it would disguise the person, 
Right. But the publishers wouldn't publish it, and I think she tried to do a self-publish, and now she's in trouble. But it's very weird that in Sweden, you have to clear that hurdle. I mean, it's already difficult for people to to have their sexual assault allegations be – to go through the criminal justice system in the United States or any country, really, because of the nature of the incident. There isn't like, hey – he has my TV, right? Like a property, like you took the thing and it's there. I don't have it anymore. And it's an easy thing to make. People always just fall back to, it was consensual. Like they guess they wanted to be harassed in the way that I harassed them. And so it's kind of hard to prove it because our system is not uh, adequate to the task, but adding this additional components where like you, <laughs> you can't even, say what happened to you because you run the risk of getting sued or being charged criminally for defaming right. somebody who you believe assaulted right. you. This is a, a quote from the article. You could even be convicted for defaming a criminal. If it means other people could look down on that person, it doesn't matter whether something has been proved in court. It could still be defamation. That's how valuable the right for anyone to participate and reintegrate in society is viewed. Right. This is basically their... Second Amendment, like, you know, Americans, we view guns as such an important thing, despite all the harm that it's causing to, like, you know, people killing themselves with it or some kid picking it up or, you know, the regular just violence that uh, comes from it. People believe in it so much that, God forbid, the federal government comes after you, you at least have your gun, right? So it's like it, it, it becomes kind of an irrational position because of all the evidence that shows that it's an irrational position. This sounds like their concern for public shaming and public shunning is so great that like no you can't you can't outcast a criminal like really i mean right. and i would love to know where that comes from because it predates obviously this culture predates all of the cancel culture stuff yeah. that we talk about in in this country but it lines up rather neatly with with that with that whole conversation over here right and it is it's interesting to me how completely seriously they take this notion of there being like a, a an identifiable and inherent harm to being publicly shamed that we just we take for granted here that there's not that right, right. <laughs> that, that <laughs> also, it's the like, complete opposite we have this the exact opposite idea here that we rely on public shame right. to keep people in line right, right. it's That's a very true. strange situation where where the the government is determined to be the arbiter of this and what once the government meets out their punishment that any further punishment by the collective or by an individual trying to shame you before the collective is is not acceptable it's a very very interesting difference in culture that i don't think i ever would have considered if i hadn't read this but article. also does it i do wonder if it extends beyond the this scenario because like i mean would if somebody was if, if an alex jones in sweden gets deplatformed by a swedish online you know, uh, social media site or whatever, like, would they say, no, 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 we, we, we can't have this guy be an outcast. Like, I wonder, does it extend that far? Or is it just like, you can't make an accusation about something if it's of a sexual nature? What if I, like, this guy stole my DVD, you know, 15 years ago, and I'm really pissed about it. Like, is, is that, <laughs> I guess that's not, it's not defaming the person because who cares about, like, who cares about a, a DVD, uh, the stolen and and maybe they're like uh, sexual assault allegations are so fraught that we're making a special right. e well, exception. Isn't the Scandinavian countries where like the 
It's like if you do this crime, this is your exact sentence, and that's what it is. Right. And there's no right. Minimum, and a maximum. lot of these, it's just this is what it this, is. Yeah. You kill two people, you're in jail for 15 years, and then you're out. Right. right. Like Brevik only got like a 22 year yeah. sentence yeah. or something. Like yeah. That. Was, <laughs> right? It was Norway, right? Right. But but it's this sort of similar culture. Yeah. It's a, there's a weird Scandinavian culture of it's like, like this radical is what it is. radical forgiveness and not right. But they like, would. I don't know. But this is closer to if they said you're going to serve your punishment at like home because God forbid we'll separate you from we're not going to lock you up in all oh, their jails are nicer than ours. But like to me, this seems to be one step too far in that pursuit. Like a you, already your criminal justice system is ill-equipped to handle these kind of allegations. So people are getting assaulted regularly, apparently, and we don't have a system to differentiate or to prove in a court of law because of the high standards to bring people to justice so that you don't have that. And now you can't even say somebody did something to you. So then what, right. what, what is the victim allowed to do in that situation? Just like somebody raped me once, like you got to keep it vague. Like I, I don't understand that. Yeah. I don't know. And I'm sure there's much more to the story than we're getting out of this one New York Times editorial. Uh, right. Not necessarily to like not I'm not trying to defend this one particular no, no. asshole, but that like the 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 broader conversation I'm sure is far more interesting. I also wanted to touch on the editorial that ran on the same page as that uh actually if you got the physical paper as I did this weekend, which is an article about the uh Ghislaine or Jelaine, whatever her name was, Maxwell, uh, mm-hmm. Jeffrey Epstein's uh, girlfriend slash business partner slash madam facilitator type. of crime, right? Who was convicted and and has jail time coming her way, but apparently one of the jurors lied or made a mistake on his intake form where one of the hundreds of questions that they ask is, have you ever been the victim of a sexual assault in the past? And that that is something that can get you dismissed from a jury if you answer in the affirmative. If you say yes, yes and this is a, a trial that's about a sexual assault case, then they believe, then the, the, the defense attorneys will say, ah, we don't want this guy because he's he'll be unduly biased against right. Right. Uh, potential perpetrators of sexual assault and so apparently uh, one of the jurors on this trial said in the jury room during deliberations he he referenced a long forgotten or long suppressed uh situation where when he was like nine or ten years old uh, his brother or his cousin or something uh, a fellow child but but a little bit older assaulted him, him for lack okay. of a Right, doing doing bad things to him, and he he mentioned that in the jury deliberations, and so now the defense wants the whole thing thrown out because it was a it was a tainted jury or what have you. Uh, setting aside the particulars of that case, it's a very similar thing to what happens in in death penalty cases, where <laughs> if you admit during the the selection process when you're going to be on a death penalty jury that you are against, you are personally opposed to the death penalty, then you're no, there's no way in hell that the judge is going to allow you to be on the right uh, on that jury because you cannot you you disagree with the possibility of executing this person. Right. And therefore, uh, somehow you're disqualified as a as being a member of the jury. This strikes me as 
and I, I think that we've talked about this before with regards to the death penalty thing, as completely antithetical to the notion of being tried by a jury of your peers. Right. Especially in a country where the majority of people are now opposed to the death penalty. Uh, and presumably the majority of people are opposed to uh, sexual assault. And also, if you believe any of the statistics, I mean— at, at least millions upon millions of your fellow Americans are victims of sexual assault in this right. country. And therefore, as a representative sample of a jury of your peers, some of them you should be permitted to have uh, victims of sexual assault on that jury when, when you're trying to determine the outcome. And ultimately, unlike the death penalty thing, where you could say you can't set aside your personal feeling about whether or not the state should fucking kill people, right. you, you can imagine a victim of sexual assault would be able to set aside the, the fact of their own unfortunate circumstance when it comes to being the victim of a sexual assault and determine the facts in a case and won't just blindly say, oh, well, this person's being accused, they must be guilty, right? Right. And it's kind of a, a lazy assumption to make that because you have been impacted by something that your brain now is just like incapable of just taking the information in for this specific case and making a determination for this specific case, right? And, and so like, if it were like, because I'm thinking of scenarios where it would be an issue. Let's say a cop was on trial and you're married to a cop. Would that be different than you're you're morally opposed to the death penalty? But I know that the death penalty is going to be on the table, and I'll just take in the information and make a determination. Like, do you think there are scenarios where you can't be in the jury? Like, if it's something that specific, because you're right. If you get to death penalty, the pool, you're limiting the pool by such a significant amount that it kind of almost distorts the jury pool. Like whoever is yeah, like, oh I think, yeah, I'm all... I think that the... My answer is that I think the jury selection process should be almost entirely done away with. Right. And, yep. <laughs> and that we should we should seat juries in much the same Robots. way that, that you seat... Uh, no, that's not what I'm saying. Not robots, that's but like what I'm saying, <laughs> the way that a grand jury is seated, where it, or like a, a jury that hears fifty fucking cases or whatever, rather than right. having to sit through a trial for six. Like it should just be a a truly random selection of right. a jury of your peers, and not be determined based on the a jury questionnaire and and what a defense attorney or a prosecuting attorney. Uh, thinks is going to be most favorable to him. Right, and also, and that's the other thing, like, the, the, I mean, obviously it makes sense because they're the ones that are coming up with the system, but, like, any sort of bias uh, or anything that benefits the two sides is totally fine. Like, these preemptory things, they can strike you for whatever reason, they can find some sort of thing that uh, they'll they'll say makes you biased, right? So you're kind of distorting the the pool of jurors and that's fine because it's like codified into the system but like any other person can't well especially have any because bus. people lie and people are stupid yes like but that's like yeah that's where we are but like but people will really lie when it's like uh you read the news no yeah like they just lie that's true it could be like the most like famous like People, they're like, oh, I've never heard of these people. It's like, really? You just yep. want to be, it's like, have you ever heard of O.J. Simpson? No. The juice? My like, client what? was, uh, he wasn't on the jury, but was selected to maybe be on the jury for the Nazi trial here. Oh, okay. And he said that 
they held up a bunch of Nazi symbols and was like, are these symbols to, are these familiar to anyone in the room? And only like a handful of people raised their hand. Like, what? Right. Right. And I wonder if they actually. You're not that under a rock. Right. And with questions like that, I always wonder, like, are they just seeing who's truthful? Because, like, that shouldn't itself disqualify you. You know what a Nazi sign is? No, oh, you can't possibly. No, they were looking for people who don't know what Nazi symbols are. Right. But so at that, that point, you're looking biased. for. You're almost looking for someone to lie to you because if it's such a common thing. Right. And I don't yep. know why uh, people are so eager to, to join. The, usually people want to get out of these things. So there's. You think they would go the other way, but apparently people want in on the action. Yeah, well, you know, people do anything for twenty-five bucks a day and a free lunch, (laughs) I guess. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of uh, silly piles of money, Al Michaels is allegedly headed to Amazon. You know, Al Michaels, a he's the uh, play-by-play man, America's favorite play-by-play man. I think it must be said. Yeah, the Do You Believe in Miracles guy. Yeah, called the Miracle on Ice back in 1980. He's he's long been my favorite uh, national football play-by-play guy. Totally fine. And he's, I don't know, he's sort of grown annoying in the last few years with Collinsworth. But apparently that marriage is over. He won't be with Collinsworth any longer. He's gone to Amazon. Uh, Amazon, which is paying something like $10 billion wow. to the NFL. To, uh, and then just like what eight games or something? Like it's not like the full it, season. Ten billion can't be right. Maybe it's one billion. Hang on, yeah. let me double check the Amazon NFL deal. This is the uh, fact checked episode. That's right. No, it's fucking ten billion. <laughs> wow. And it is for a billion dollars a year. Amazon wow. is going to pay the NFL to broadcast uh, one game a week on their Amazon Prime streaming service some of that money that they still have left over from that deal will go to al michaels at a rate of approximately a million dollars per game because he's apparently getting a similar deal to what uh, joe buck and troy aikman got to go to espn so we had joe buck and troy aikman go from the main fox announcers to the monday night booth over on espn where they're going to be making like a million bucks a game. Al Michaels moves from the NBC booth over to the Amazon booth. And Mike Tarico's replacing Al Michaels. Tarico's going into the uh, a permanent NBC booth situation with Collinsworth, presumably. All of which is to say, why? Yeah. Why are they paying a million dollars a week to these people who have, I think it's fair to say, zero impact on whether or not I'm going to tune in to a exactly. football game. I, in fact, I don't think I've ever watched any sporting event because of the announcer. It's like the refs or whatever. It's like, I'm, yeah, there's some bad refs or some decent refs. And there's some good... Yeah, I like Michaels and Tariko and Buck is fine. But again, like if the Colts are playing, I'm going to watch the game. I don't care who the hell's announcing it. But for whatever reason, there's a market for these announcers. Because who's going to now fill... In for the Buck Aikman America's it's, Game of the Week thing on, on Fox. It's literally the last thing I'm worried about right. on a Sunday when I'm popping around the cable guide looking for what games are on. Right. My concern is not 
like, oh, is it going to be Ian Eagle or yeah. Ian Eagle's kid? <laughs> and yeah, like, oh, I'm not tuning into this uh, Ravens uh, Browns tilt right. because I know this is the fourth most important game of the week in the CBS slate. So we've got like uh, Sterling Sharp or whatever on the on the as the color man. Right. But like, are we? Nobody is factoring that into their viewing decisions. It doesn't maybe, make any fucking maybe sense. Maybe it's just us. Maybe there are people out there who do care, right? Because. Why are they commanding such money? Like it's it's like a, almost like an arms race where it's like, oh fuck that! I'll, I'm gonna give him twenty million a season. No, I'll give him ten. like when Romo uh, got a lot of money at CBS. Everybody else was like, oh, I'm gonna get that kind of money, and it's kind of ratcheted right. up. Uh, now Troy Aikman, the most sort of like anodyne, like like least interesting color man. Like, <laughs> and I don't love. Like, I think that that. Uh, uh, Romo is fine. Yeah, like I, I, I'm perfectly happy to watch a football game that Tony Romo is calling. Right. Uh, I think Jim Nance kind of fucking sucks, but like I've never turned the game off because Jim Nance was on the call. I've right. never and I've never turned the game on because Jim Nance was on the call. I don't understand the, the it, so-called market here whatsoever. In a big moment, is there like, oh, I would rather it be this guy like oh man if Vern Lundquist oh, was calling 100%, the Georgia Auburn game the last person yeah. that I want calling the big moment is Jim Nance right. because I know <laughs> that Jim Nance will have rehearsed like half a dozen different lines ahead of time and is just waiting for the outcome that matches up with the you, line you can tell you think he's he, oh it's, yes 100% it's very annoying but I'm sure the others have a thing that they have if this happens I'm gonna oh my or Good, you know, yeah, they this. have things that they're kind of ready to say. Right. Sure. Vernon Lundquist always has on deck. <laughs> I don't think that he calls games anymore, no. although I haven't alive? watched no, March I Madness. So, so I don't know if he's still doing it. On this planet? He's alive. Okay. He's still alive. Yeah. I don't think he's, I don't think they're letting him call any games. But his, his go to is just name of player, <laughs> name of school. <laughs> what? Name of school, and that was his whole. That's his whole way of. He loved to spell out LSU, right? <laughs> they scored. Yeah, he always has a new way of. So he would never say LSU twice. Yeah. It'd be Louisiana State <laughs> University. <laughs> Come on, Vern. Give me something else. Oh, but I'm sure he's thinking, anyway. oh, man, I was born like ten years." Too soon? Could I be raking in the money now? What are the qualifications for any of these assholes? Like Joe Buck is the son of a former broadcaster, which is how he got into this game. Play football, or you're a son of someone who. It's a very strange, uh, nepotistic. Very obvious. Yeah, it's just very weird that like you wouldn't get the best broadcasters; you just get the sons of the dudes who did it 50 years ago. You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. I think this is a two-hour recording that. I know there's a good, like, 45 minutes worth of podcast in there somewhere. Uh, I'm going to find it tomorrow. You can find the show on Facebook or Twitter. Also, email the show, brainironpodcast at gmail.com. Head on over to the website at brainiron.com. The opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig. Abe, you see any new movies this week? So, I went to go see this movie called X, just the letter X. Uh, And it's like a horror movie. It's like... Like 1970s, like slasher film, like they're filming some porn movie somewhere out in the sticks, and uh, some crazy woman, you know, 
starts killing people. She's like almost, I mean, that's not how they would describe it on the billboard, but basically it's like a, a an incel woman, right? She's like very old and uh, for whatever reason, her husband did not want to have any uh, sort of interaction with her. And so she sees these young people, these porn stars across the way and then, you know, she starts killing them. She She's like, she wants their youth or something. Like it's one of those things, mm. right? And very gross. Like she's like touching them. Like, yeah, just... It was very un, uh, unsettling. Uh, this old lady who d- like finds clever ways to kill you. You saw this in the theaters. Yes, I think there was a lot of people yeah. in this. The- I was like, I guess people like horror movies because there really wasn't much for me to watch, and so I was like, okay, I'll give this a chance, and uh, not that good. I I did see. Uh, I'm and I'm still watching. I'm halfway through on this uh, documentary on Apple TV. I thought I canceled it, but I guess I fucked up somehow. So one more month of <laughs> Apple TV. And yeah, so one more month to <laughs> be saying that every month. But basically yeah. remember the, the, that Gallagher guy, the, the, this Marine who was like killing people. He was like brought up on war crimes um, that Trump like either pardoned or he got him out of something basically a few oh, years yeah, ago. Yeah. And yeah. so they did like a deep dive. I'm like two episodes into a four episode documentary. And the first episode, it's like, okay, maybe this guy, he, you know, he's not so bad. And the second one, it's like, oh, he clearly was killing everybody. Basically, like his entire unit turned on him because he apparently was just literally, he would just snipe people to death. Just a, a girl running. Some kid running around, some old man. It doesn't matter. There were clearly not militants, right? They weren't like right. enemy combatants. He would just kill them. And they said this is fucked up. And they, they were going to bring up charges against them. And the whole thing blew up because some people changed their recollection of what hey, happened. Why you got to watch that documentary this week? The world is united against Putin, against <laughs> Russia. It seems very... <laughs> unpatriotic of you to be delving into such material. No, but this guy, unless not the next two episodes clean him up, he's a total piece of shit. Uh, this he, is not not good for your social credit score to be watching that documentary. <laughs> well, blame uh, Apple TV for not canceling my thing last month. I wouldn't have uh, had the opportunity to watch it. Fair enough. We, uh, well, we nothing. I watched this week two three-hour-long movies. Ooh. I didn't. I watched a Dropkick Murphys concert on St. Patrick's Day. Way oh, better. Nice. Uh, yeah, I went to the movies for the first time in over two years. What was the number that I came up with? That, that I, I looked back to see in the intervening two years. You said it was literally like 99 or something. It was like, 90, like nearly it was. 100. <laughs> Which in is the ridiculous. time since I saw Parasite in theaters in February of 2020 and this past Tuesday or Wednesday, I guess, uh, when I went to go see The Batman. I'd seen no movies in theaters during that time, and you'd, you'd seen over 90. The Batman was very good. It was what I want in a Batman movie and not a whole lot else. Like, it, it didn't need to be anything else. It was, it was just a very good Batman movie, and... People complaining about it. I don't fully understand what it is that you want in a Batman movie. What were the compl- Was it the length or just something about the story that they, they didn't like? The yeah, length is what I hear. The length about. and like the self seriousness or something and like yeah, but like that's what it's supposed to be. Right. Like, this is the Batman. It's supposed to be overly serious. It 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 should be its own thing. 
and it was it was just really well done. And the I my one quibble with it is that I think that the cowl, his his face mask, mm-hmm. is stupid looking. Yeah. That's my only my only problem with it <laughs> is that they wanted it to look homemade and they wanted it to look because it because it's it's year two Batman. It's it's Batman who's just sort of figuring this thing out. So it's supposed to look sort of like he's still figuring everything out. Right. And it has that going for it. And it and it works really well. But the mask just doesn't fucking work. There's, it, it just looks like cheap leather laying over his face, and it wouldn't provide any fucking protection. And yeah, he gets his ass fucking kicked oh, yeah. a good bit in this movie. Uh, but I, I wish that there was a little bit something more substantial to the face armor. You were fine uh, with the uh, other Batman, the, the, the actor? The Twilight guy? Yeah, yeah. Pattinson was good. I thought so. If there's a downside, another quibble is that the Bruce Wayne Batman distinction almost doesn't exist in this because he's they portray him as such a private person that there's no reason for him to do the Bruce Wayne persona in right. public, really. Right. Um, Where he showed up at like a dinner party or whatever as right he shows up at a gala or whatever and he's supposed to be the fancy man about town he's not that he's just a depressed 20 year old 22 year old whatever and that it checks out like it all works within the 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 context of the movie but part of what makes batman fun is the the sort of secret life aspect of it and there's not a whole lot of secret life going on here it's it's just all maybe they'll get on that the next time they do it yeah yeah and the I, th- I just thought it was a good movie. And it, what's funny is that it, it is very long. It's three hours long. It also felt like something that was written as a television, like a, a prestige TV drama right. that they they then took six episodes of and combined into uh, one long movie. Right. Because uh, it did feel at times like a detective kind of thing, like try to piece things together and figure it out. Yeah, yeah. And and Jeffrey Wright as, as commissioner or soon to be eventual commissioner Gordon was very, very good. And, yeah, the whole thing worked. The other movie that I saw was, because I'm trying to watch as many of the Oscar contenders oh, as I can. that's this weekend, right? The... That's this coming Sunday, yeah. Oh, shit. So I, I think I'm only going to have a chance to watch one or two more, which will put me at like six or seven, I think, out of the ten. But I watched uh, the Japanese film uh, Drive My Car. Oh, how's that? I was going to watch it this week. Which is a three-hour-long movie. You can't do anything else while you're it's entirely in japan that's not true it's mostly in japanese. It's mostly in japanese you have to read the subtitles and it is an extremely talky movie like oh really a lot of yakety it's a yak? movie that is just about the dialogue between like a, these characters and by the way one way uh to make sure that your movie is good is if like a full hour of the dialogue was written by one of the greatest playwrights in the history of the medium, which they, they've taken Chekhov and and made, like, half the fucking movie is just a Chekhov play that they keep reading from. So, like, it feels like a little bit of a cheat if you're going to get Wait, nominated. Wait, that's for, actually in the movie? Yeah, that's, it's about a play. Yeah, the whole movie is about a play. Oh. The movie is basically about... Not about a car. A guy... It is a little bit about a car. Mm. Uh, but it's about a guy whose wife dies, and he has to deal like with a fallout from that, basically. And it's a it's a strange movie the way that it's set up. It's like a forty minute cold open, where they they have this whole like preamble to the movie, and then you get to the part where the wife dies forty minutes in, 
and then the credit, the opening credits roll. Like, I don't think I've ever seen wow. that where you watch a movie for 40 fucking minutes and then the opening credits happen. And it's like, oh, wait, we're just now getting to the start of this fucking Tarantino. movie. Yeah. And apparently the guy who did it is like this up and comer in the in the Japanese uh, film scene and and great things are expected of him. I don't think this movie is all that it's cracked up to be uh, in terms of it being like a great movie or something. Oh, like not that. a big fan. Because uh, you had similar thoughts about uh, the power of the dog, no? Yes, yeah, similar similar thing. Where I, I I don't really see what makes this thing so great. It does this thing though that is always big in Hollywood circles, where it it credits art and the making of art and the and the overwhelming oneself with the process of making art as being this big like healing and ameliorative thing. Uh, and any time a movie makes a great big deal about the the transformative power of acting or of of plays or of movies, it makes it feel like it's a like like Hollywood people fucking like it more right. because of that. Right? right. And a lot of what this movie is doing is, is it's insisting on the healing and transformative power of in particular plays but also because this is a play within a movie it's actually talking about movies right okay and it's that's that's not a thesis that i buy like i I've, I've just never been of the opinion that if you immerse yourself in art enough that the secrets of the universe and of life will be revealed to you. Uh, it's, it's not been my experience, and I don't particularly buy it as a, as a thesis from arty people. But I guess if but, you're an arty person, I can kind of see them thinking that. Yeah, if you're an arty person, you're like, oh, yeah, this guy gets it. Right. Yeah. Well, it was good. Was it's it a good movie. And would you recommend just watching it once? Like, uh, it is three hours. Yeah, I think I think it's worth watching. Okay. Uh, it, and it does the neat trick of of having the worst person in the movie say the true thing. Like, and that, that that's a it's a sneaky thing that you can do is if you have a bad character who the audience automatically hates because they are in opposition to your protagonist, right. but you have them say the true thing, then it, it comes across feeling much more authentic. And so it, 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 it has a couple of neat tricks up its sleeve and it's a, it's a good movie and the, the performances are good. I don't have any familiarity whatsoever with Japanese cinema. I think this might be the first non like I assume that I've seen some like martial arts movies, uh, Godzilla. Godzilla and and Godzilla movies, right? This is the probably Crouching the f- Tiger, Hidden Dragon. The first that's a Chinese different, movie, different. racist. <laughs> but you know, close enough. I don't know if I knew. Uh, it's like Parasite, you know. Was Lori joking there? Not clear. No, I literally am not sure. That's Chinese. Parasite is Korean, right? Right, I don't. Crouching I, Tiger I, I don't think, besides Godzilla or presumably some other martial arts movie, have I seen a Japanese language film. Right, Tokyo Drift uh, doesn't count as all in English. No, I don't think that one counts either. But yeah, you're right. I, Actually, uh, but maybe they don't have a big uh, scene out there. I mean, you hear, you see all these uh, Korean shows now on Netflix, but I'm not about sure about the Japan. one uh, Battle Royale. I don't think I ever saw Battle Royale, and I didn't see oh, old, I, did. I didn't see Old Boy either, which is I think another titan of Japanese cinema that I never got around babies. to. Babies, we saw babies. 
Did that Japanese? Sure. Yes, but it also didn't have words. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it also presents Japanese culture as this sort of funny foreign object in the just in the way that these people interact with one another is just like unflappably polite, like just unfailingly deferential and polite to one another in a way that just there's just no corollary in either American film or American culture, obviously. Uh, and I don't know if that was if that's a unique feature of this film or if that's just like a reality of Japanese cinema in general. Uh, I guess I need to do more uh, Japanese movie watching. But anyway, <laughs> it's a good movie. It's worth watching. It's on and HBO it, Max, right? The it's the on HBO animated yeah. stuff. We've no, seen the animated stuff. Yeah, the uh, st- Studio Ghibli or Ghibli is is Japanese. Oh, um, oh they yeah. got some stuff. Sure. And all those horror movies we don't watch. You saw Centipede or whatever. Yeah, and like The Ring. Like they have some movies. Okay. I didn't see the original Ring. All right, Japan. We take all that back. Yeah, that's right. But I don't think they deserve to win uh, Best Picture. It wasn't that good. Well, I mean, it, it's, it was if good. it's not this, it's going to be The Power of the Dog, right? I mean, I haven't looked at the odds, but no, no movie really stands out. Yeah, I don't know. West Side Story. Yeah, yeah I want to watch West yeah. Side Story we'll this, this week weekend. at some point. You, you, you're, not, you're familiar with the story, right? Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. when I sad, Abe, Abe's like, "Hey, the ending is sad. Just I'm go like, into it knowing it's a sad ending." <laughs> I just walked in thinking one thing, and then I was like, "Wow, for a musical, I got very stabby." For now, at the top of my power rankings on the from the Oscar nomination list is still Dune. Is is the yeah. The but I don't. The story I, there. I'm not sure that, that that will win. But you you don't think they'll no, give it? No, it's not going to. It's absolutely not going to win. Power of the Dog is going to win. I, I'm from what you don't I've think seen. They'll give Power it to King Richard or something. They like those biography stuff. Like when you make a movie about somebody. That's true. I don't want to watch King Richard. I think that that one is also available to stream. I just have no interest in watching. It's that actually movie it's for not some reason. Too bad. Man, speaking of King Richard oh, and sake, and Power of the bed. Dog, Jane Campion. Received one of these Directors Guild Awards or something oh, like that. Oh, I heard about this. <laughs> She's the director of Power of the Dog. She won the Director of the Year from one of these award ceremonies. And she gets up there and sitting in the crowd, because the King Richard movie has been nominated for a bunch of stuff also, are the Williams sisters. And she says something to the effect of, it's an honor to be here and, you know, and, and to receive this award and... You know, Serena and Venus, you are such marvels. However, you do not play against the guys. <laughs> like I have to. <laughs> I'm not sure... She must have meant well, but it's such a weird thing to say while you're also praising them to say right. that... She meant it as a She meant it as a joke, right? And that's the... Like she meant it as. I can relate to that statement. Yeah, it's just it was the backlash to it is completely disproportionate to the harm that was done, which, to be clear, is none harm, right? So not the according way to uh, the Wesley way... Morris on the New York Times. He wrote like a a big thing about. He how... wrote a full fucking column <laughs> about how this person does like like she 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 just doesn't understand. Whereas 
Serena's worth a quarter of a fucking billion dollars on her own and right. is married to some fucking hedge fund billionaire or something like that, right? I think it's like that. And never there, has right? to worry about anything for generations upon generations to come. And yeah, sure, has suffered some indignities at Indian Wells years ago. Oh, that's right. Uh, the booing. <laughs> but, but like, <laughs> what are we talking about? We're mad at this lady because she took a, a, a she, she made it sort of a, a poorly received joke about the fact that the Williams sisters would get their asses kicked by Pete Sampras if it came down to it. Basically, it just came across as her minimizing the, their ordeal in this joke thing, which, I don't know, bit of a stretch. It, it, it was one more thing from the last couple of weeks where I have to listen to people talk about how hard Serena and Venus Williams have, have had it. Don't have to listen to While... Vladimir Putin is unleashing <laughs> unholy hell. People the, again. I hate that. I hate when people say like, "How can you care about this thing when this other thing yeah, is happening?" Yeah, there's a starving like, kid in Somalia right now, and you're complaining about right, right. This. And that's it's a totally fucking bullshit thing to to ever say. <laughs> but it's just so hard to to go on Twitter and you read just an endless parade of pointless complaining at the same time that like a whole country, like like giant cities in a in, in Ukraine are being flattened because Putin doesn't think Ukraine it should be a real place anymore. Right. By the way, this is the second instance tonight where you're like, I know this is ordinarily terrible to do, but this is disgusting. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> but I'm disgusted. <laughs> anyway, Abe, you uh, got anything else for us tonight? Nope. I guess that's all we've got for tonight then. And we will talk to you next time. Later. are using a biased uh, resource you know this is what i like i've was my whole objection to chuck todd just in, completely in the wrong <laughs> how can that be it is it is the case that there's more sun the further south that you For, get right but isn't this time of I, year it might not make as big of a difference right is a different significance i mean you know if it's like five That's minutes here how big of a difference were you thinking initially because I, I would imagine to be within like a I don't know, 20-minute gap? Like, I mean, how much more of a difference could it be? Now, I gotta, I'm Googling furiously here. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to start Googling. No, no, that can't be no, right. He okay. All right, this is in Quora. How does distance from the equator affect daylight hours? Top answer. The further you go from the equator, the more variation you get in hours of daylight over the year. If you are north of the Arctic Circle or south of the Antarctic cir Circle, there are days when the sun never rises and days when it never sets. In New York City, about 41 degrees north, sunrise to sunset is about 15 hours at midsummer and 9 hours at midwinter. So this is December... It is only the equator which experiences 12 hours day and 12 hours night. All other latitudes experience uneven daylight and night lengths. Yeah. Distance from and equator combined with tilt of the Earth axis, axis of rotation results right. in variations in day and night length. I have, the, I have the sunrises and sunsets for Buffalo and Charlottesville pulled up. They're relatively up and down from one another. Charlottesville, okay. winter solstice, last year, 21st. Sun rose at 726. Buffalo sun rose at 7:43. Okay. So yeah. So. All right. I I I will. 
Do you, do you, I have to well, retract all of my previous no, you statements. Don't. I do. I do because I thought I sincerely believed. Why? Why am I this way? Why didn't I just delete the episode entirely? I could have even chalked it up to technical difficulties and no one would have been the wiser. Right, man. I don't know. This whole conversation probably needs to go. We might need to just. <laughs> By the way, uh, the sun still rises from Japan, right? That's still fact. Right, it and, goes and over set, Japan sets first. in Tempe, Arizona. Okay. As long as we got that. Oof. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs>